I'm Paul, and welcome to the Gains Lab podcast. Today, we talk with SWAT operator Meg Beck about her athletic journey, how she prepared for selection, the differences between selection and the demands of being on a SWAT team, and the physical, psychological skills that she's developed along the way. Enjoy. Tell us your story, Meg, from all the way back in your volleyball days. Oh man, really, really making me reach deep back in the bucket here. Um, so I guess I grew up playing a lot of sports um, and actually volleyball was kind of last on the list for a long time. Um, I played softball. I was really big into softball. I was a swimmer um, and volleyball came on pretty late. I really didn't start playing until like my freshman year in high school um, and I ended up falling in love, um, realizing that I was way too big. Uh, so for the people listening, I'm six foot, about 180, 185 pounds um, for a lot of other sports. And you'll see this theme kind of carry through uh, my journey. So I got recruited to play ball in college, uh, volleyball, and kind of dropped all of the other sports that I was playing and that I was interested in and really focused on that. Uh, played volleyball all four years through college, um, played in the NCAA tournament. That was super cool experience. Um, learned a lot about myself, <laughs> learned a lot about how to communicate with people who are different than you. Um, so much so that I ended up, uh, after playing collegiate volleyball, actually ended up coaching collegiate volleyball for a little while. Um, I was super into it, the X's and the O's, the kids, um, the travel, everything about it, uh, had me hooked, but I found that when I finished my playing career, uh, I didn't really know what to do. And I think that's a big theme with, uh, post collegiate athletics in general, you get finished with your collegiate career and having somebody tell you what to do, when to do it, how to eat. Um, you know, training multiple times a day and then you get done and you realize that nobody really taught you any of that. They just told you. And so um, I was still having that competitive itch. Uh, I still wanted more. I felt like I wasn't done being an athlete. Um, and that's kind of where CrossFit came into play when I was coaching college ball. Um, I, I joined a CrossFit gym, um, again, not, not really knowing what I was getting myself into in, in the best way possible. Uh, joined a CrossFit gym, got pretty competitive pretty quick, um, picked up on the skills minus the gymnastics relatively quickly, um, ended up competing a good bit, um, <laughs> Here's the theme, realizing that CrossFit, at least on the on the elite side, is not exactly built for females that are six foot and 185 pounds. Um, quickly transitioned over to weightlifting, um, did competitive weightlifting for man, probably seven or eight years. Um, this was prior to the 80 class uh, being introduced into USAW. So um had a lot of weird experience with being a 75 as a six foot athlete. Um, I think Maddie Rogers talks a lot about 
the 75 class and the 69 class and she's I think 5'7 or 5'8 so add a couple inches onto that um, our stories are pretty similar so again realizing that elite weightlifting is not exactly uh, what my body is built for um, transitioned over to powerlifting still same theme um, but my levers are a little bit better for the those particular lifts um, haven't competed in powerlifting want to eventually um, but the the tactical stuff um, kind of came at the same time as powerlifting did and so uh, I transitioned uh, work in 2019 um, into law enforcement um, something that kind of runs in one side of my family always has never thought it was something that I would do necessarily um, not because I didn't like it, but because my uh, educational path was kind of taking me in a different direction. Um, but the opportunity presented itself. I had a couple of really good mentors for kids that I was coaching at the time. Their parents were in law enforcement um, and just talked to me about what they did and, and how they got in and their experience so far. Um, and I was ready for a career change at that point. Uh, and so I was like, what the heck? I'll just apply. Um, and so in 2019, um, I got the sweet go-ahead, um, transitioned careers, uh, went into law enforcement, went to the academy, um, learned a lot, and really fell in love with the tactical portion of our job. Um, in my previous careers, I had worked with special operations, a little bit with special forces. And so I had always had in interest in what they did I always thought that it was interesting but it very much in my mind was not a place for a female and that was based off of the conversations and the mentality of the units that I was part of and just the things that they would say um, and I think that's totally a culture thing um, I think that overall those particular groups their leadership is trying to change those things uh, this is a whole separate conversation that we don't need to have um, but at the time, that was totally not a conversation. This is back in the early to mid 2000s. And so um, definitely within the, the war of Iraq and Afghanistan um, going on, it was totally not a place for, for a female. But anyway, so 2019, I got into the tactical portion of my job. Um, I was, because of my previous career and my experience with uh, special Operations Special Forces, um, had the opportunity to screen for our SWAT team a little bit early. Um, and so in February of 2020, um, I screened positive for our SWAT team um, after a pretty brutal selection. Um, and so that's kind of where everything started. Um, I think now being still a new guy on the team two years in um and I say guy meaning me girl but so two years in I still feel like this is where I'm supposed to be um which I don't think I ever had that feeling with anything else that I ever did competitively and and I know that you know the tactical side of law enforcement isn't necessarily 
competitive in the way that you would think like a first, second, third, I'm competing against other people, but it is competitive as me and my team versus whatever threat we're facing. And so it's, can we do things efficiently, effectively, and safely for whatever our mission set is that day? And, and that, that game and figuring that out to me and that different kind of competitive piece totally scratched that itch that I have had, I don't know, ever since I was a kid probably and, and digging through sports and other things to try to scratch that itch. Um, so that's kind of how I got to where I am now. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Can you tell us a little bit about, I know you can't share all the details of SWAT selection, but uh, can you give our audience an idea of what your preparation was like? Yeah, totally. Um, so like Paul said, a lot of our selection is super secret. Um, even me leading into selection, I didn't know, I'd say 85% of what selection was going to be like. Um, it's a multi-day event. Um, and so the only parts that I really knew is that there was going to be a PT test. The times for the PT tests weren't a secret. Um, it involves weighted pull-ups. It involves a shuttle run with a bunch of modalities like a dummy drag and some bar farmer's carries and some sprints. Um, and there's a couple other things included in there. So that wasn't a secret. There's also a pool portion of selection. So the swim test in and of itself was not a secret. I knew the distances and the times for that. Um, there's a, lo and behold, there's a lot more that happens in the pool than just the swim test. Um, but, but I didn't know that at the time. Um, but what I did know is that we had a lot of prior special operations people on my team um, to include a 20 year seal. And so my best guess is that it would be something copy and pasted from a few days of buds. Um, and so that guess was relatively accurate um, in the short term. It was a ton of running, some rucking. Basically, it, it is what any special operations or special forces or SWAT selection is. It's figuring out how to task you uh, and stress you as much as they possibly can to see who you are and what attributes you display under stress. Um, and basically the way they get that out of you is through long sustained exercise, <laughs> um, which will obviously bias towards people who do long aerobic work. Um, so kind of selection in a nutshell there, uh, several days of basically getting your ass kicked, uh, with cardio, um, with some other, obviously like shooting and, and fighting and some scenarios thrown in, in between. Um, and so I would say if we transition to going into how, how we got ready for this, um, I would say around six months out from selection, I realized that the physical demands of selection are very different than the training that I was doing leading up to selection, um, and which was kind of like a super total kind of program. Uh, so for people who aren't familiar, that's like powerlifting combined with weightlifting. And I was doing 
um, some year of the engine on top of that. Um, and so, but it just, I don't think it would have been sufficient. And so realizing that I reached out to Gaines Lab um, and got hooked up with Paul this way. Um, so like I said, about six months out and basically told him, you know, we had a conversation about what my goals were and why I was reaching out um, and kind of what I was looking for. And I think kind of right then, and uh, Paul decided that he was game to give this challenge a try. I don't think it was something, and Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think it's something that Games Lab specifically uh, had done a ton in the past, um, but it really was still within within the wheelhouse. I was I was just basically asking for essentially CrossFit work with strict gymnastics. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, we kind of started there. Um, and we had a lot of focus on, like I said, strict gymnastics. It sort of looked like CrossFit, um, which kept, you know, personalities like mine interested. It had a lot of grunt work. Um, I think specifically, I remember doing a ton of like front rack farmers carries uh, and heavy a uh, ton of farmers carries ton of sled drags rope climbs legless rope climbs um, a lot of running uh, and not just like long endurance runs which we did do a lot of but a lot of track work um, which I really liked and uh, yeah so I think that's kind of where we started before some of the challenges of our programming that we faced came into play yeah that's a great overview can you go into some of those yeah for sure um so I think the the key hindsight to training for something like this or training for you know any kind of selection that you're going through obviously the military selections being a lot longer than the one that I went through is how much volume can you take without sustaining an overuse injury? And so um, I think we totally found that balance really early and, and by no fault of the training, but by my own dumb luck, uh, one day I ended up actually falling down the stairs. Really graceful, I know. Um, so not an overuse injury, just um, by grace, if you will. Uh, <laughs> Totally fell down the stairs, rolled my ankle. It was a pretty gnarly one. Um, I've been pretty familiar with ankle injuries with my volleyball career. Um, so I knew that it was something that we could get past, but it was definitely a limitation on training. Um, especially, I think this was really close to selection. I think maybe we were five or six weeks out from selection date uh, for the first day. And so I was panicking a little, you know, um, like, oh man, is everything I just have done? And like, have I wasted my time? Am I still going to be able to do this? Um, I was pretty swollen, pretty bruised. Um, and while it is just, just a, like a sprain, a big like ankle roll out, all those things were still kind of going through my mind at the time. And, and so I reached out to you and uh, you kind of talked me off the ledge, which you've always been great about. Uh, and I'll talk about that more later. Um, but we ended up changing a little bit about training after that happened. Um, and it was basically, how do we answer the question of, you know, progressing towards this goal 
namely the aerobic side of the goal minus a foot, <laughs> literally. Um, and so what I think we did, you know, kind of looking back at programming is we transitioned to a lot of bike um, and pretty much everything else about training since we were doing a lot of uppers being a female, you know, kind of like upper body strength is where I, I felt like I was limited and where, you know, next to my male counterparts that I would stick out. Um, so I don't think any of that really changed, but we did transition to the bike to keep in like long sustained cardio pieces. We took a little bit of the sprinting out, just the pressure on that, that ankle at the time was a little bit too much. Um, but we did, you know, we stayed with like zone two, zone three, long steady state pieces on the bike. Um, so I was able to kind of keep that engine that we had developed over the last five months. Um, and then as I kind of got better and as that ankle got more mobility back in it, uh, less pain, uh, we transitioned by alternating biking with running. So if I had a long run, like six, seven, eight miles, um, we would transition like a one mile run into the equivalent time of bike. Um, and that's kind of how we transitioned back to uh, running full time. And, and honestly, I don't know that I ever did pre-selection. I don't know that I did a full run in and of itself prior to selection. I think we were still alternating bike and run leading all the way up to selection. Yeah, I remember it being... The, the goal then was just to be as healthy as possible so that you could survive, the, the ankle right. could survive. And yeah, you yeah. touched on a lot of things programming-wise. I remember high frequency in the upper body and high volume yeah. usually comes along with that anyway, but high frequency and high volume in the upper body because we knew there were going to be a lot of body weight loaded calisthenics, push-ups and pull-ups. And, and so... And we, we tried different frequencies and we found, I think we ended up doing three times a week frequency and, and pretty high volume, uh, each time. And, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, just all body weight loaded, like strict stuff. And, and so we did do, um, I remember, you know, we started out, we had weightlifting in there even though there really wasn't a strength speed requirement in the selection, but it was something that you're, you're obviously really good at and enjoy. And so we, we kept it in, um, as something that, you know, you would enjoy continuing to do. Yeah, um, definitely. And yeah, your aerobic pieces. I remember we, we would often incorporate like, uh, set sizes in pushups and strict pull-ups that, were sustainable so you could get on the bike get off like do some lunges do get over a box and then small set of push-ups small set of pull-ups back on the bike so you're you're kind of doing those things in an aerobic context as well and then just a lot of like blocked volume building as well yeah definitely I definitely remember it being once we kind of found that sweet spot a ton of upper volume um but it definitely paid off uh I think especially in females like that, that high volume, uh, especially for uppers, uh, if you can endure it totally pays off. Um, my pull ups went up, my push ups went up. Uh, once we found that sweet spot, um, I think we were doing a ton of weighted pull ups too, which really helped. And in selection uh, in the PT test, it's not a secret. Um, there are, weighted pull-ups uh, as part of the selection event. Um, and so that was super helpful at that point. Um, but yeah, I, I loved the, 
the like bike every five minutes. It was like a total of 60 minutes, but every five minutes you get off and you do, yeah, like push-ups, pull-ups, some air squats or some lunges or, you know, a carry or something like that, um, which totally builds into that, you know, like maintaining that heart rate while doing not necessarily like skill things, but, but kind of, uh, skill things that would be fatiguing for, especially someone like me, uh, being as long as I am, uh, and then, and then coming back to that heart rate, uh, and being able to maintain that for, you know, an hour or two at a time, uh, was, was awesome. Yeah, for sure. Can you talk a little bit about psychologically what that was like? preparing for something for such a long time and you know having the uncertainty of the ankle and uh, going into it and then your actual selection experience. Yeah. Um, I think there's a, a lot really that we could dig into at that point. So if I start with, man, I guess kind of starting with making the decision to even screen, um, talking about coming from a background uh, with the teams. Um, I think it was a really hard decision for me because I think it had been beat into my head for so long that females don't belong in the tactical world, at least to a certain level. Um, and, and part of me kind of agreed with that. And so there was a little bit of, of dissonance between like, do you really belong here? Can you do this job? Uh, and then actually making the decision to, to do it. Um, so I kind of reckoned with those feelings, um, long story short, I basically came to the answer of physically, if you can, you should, um, I think there are a lot of people who are physically capable and, and they let what other people say, get into their head and, and they end up believing it. And, you know, when maybe that's not their truth. And so like being a bigger female, um, being physically capable or at least believing that I was physically capable to screen positive for selection um, kind of just led me to that answer. Like if you, if you can, you should, and you should try. And so I did. Um, so leading up to selection, I think I kind of went on, on a big roller coaster and, and Paul was a part of it. Um, starting with selection, I was really excited. I think Paul asked me a question at one point. And he asked me a ton of introspective questions through this whole process, which, you know, as an athlete, I was not familiar with. I was just, nobody ever asked me questions uh, that made me think about why I wanted to do things. Uh, so that was really new for me uh, and not something as a type A person, I'm totally a doer and not a thinker. Uh, so I'd give him some really like crappy, shallow answers and he wouldn't let that fly. So that was new for me. But anyway, um, I think that leading into selection, I was mostly excited. Uh, and, and like I said, Paul asked me if I was excited or if I was afraid. Um, and I think at that point I was excited. Um, I love training. I have always loved training. And so like the high volume doing more training for more hours and, and obviously more is not always more, but I was good at that. Um, as we moved cl closer to I think to my injury and to actual selection itself, I think my answer changed. And, and I wouldn't necessarily say that I was afraid, but I was nervous. Um, I wanted to do really well. I had a lot of people at that point invested in me. 
um, Paul being one of them, but um, I was doing a lot of work uh, on the rifle and a lot of work uh, with some other things in the pool. And um, so I had a lot of people that had invested like time and energy into me. And I was, I think mainly just concerned that I was going to let all those people down if I was unsuccessful. And so it transitioned from excited to like excited, nervous. Um, I don't think at any point, like I, I really doubted that physically I couldn't do selection. Um, and also like having the the selection be completely unknown. Like I'm about to go do this multi-day thing, but I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, so I think mentally that was kind of hard for me um there were a lot of times I think where I, I reached out to Paul uh and mostly about training but like you know if I didn't hit a number that I wanted to hit and or like my push-ups didn't go up that particular day um I'd reach out to Paul and be like oh my god I'm the worst athlete on the planet uh I don't know why this isn't working um and Paul would kind of like talk me off the ledge very gently um, about, you know, like telling me, remembering why you want to do this and what your goal is and kind of getting me to refocus on the reason that I'm doing all of this, not necessarily the result that I got on that particular day. Um, and, and reminding me that this is a, a process and not necessarily a linear process at that. Um, and as, a type A person, we, we want what we want when we want it. And, uh, that is totally not how this process goes. <laughs> um, so going into right before selection, I think Paul, you asked me to define what failing meant, because I think I came off finally on, on being nervous about failing. Um, and then you asked me a follow-up question which I, I still have a hard time answering, I think. You asked me, what does screening positive give you that you don't already have? And I think that was a good reality check to make me grateful. Um, and I, after that, I kind of like went into this whole mindfulness thing. But um, yeah, like screening positive was cool. And I really wanted to to do this for my job. And I have this like drive to, you know, do the things that being on a tactical team allows you to do. Um, and as part of my job to protect other people um, from from other people, literally, and, and other things. So, um, but it made me realize that even if I didn't screen positive, that it wasn't the end of the world. Like there were so many things, good things that I had and like good people that I had as a support system that it wasn't going to be like my world was crashing down if I didn't screen positive. And I think that helped me shake some of that nervousness um, going into selection. Um, and then like selection day, I mean, it starts at, at like the ridiculous ass crack of dawn. Can I say that on a podcast? Sorry. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think we started at like three o'clock in the morning or something ridiculous like that. And uh, by the time you're in it, you, you just don't have time to really feel anything. Uh, it's 
you kind of just turn your brain off and you just go. Um, and so I don't think I really felt much of anything except sore. <laughs> um, pretty much all of selection, the, the several days of selection. Even when you get home, uh, if you get to go home uh, on the nights of selection, and if you did, they were late and you really weren't sleeping anyway, uh, you were so tired that you just don't think about anything. <laughs> um, and I don't think I really felt anything again until when selection was over and they tell you that selection's over and you totally don't believe them. You're like, this is not real. Selection is not over. Um, but when you actually do realize that selection is over, um, I think that nervousness comes back. Uh, cause I was like, you start replaying all the events and all the things that you have done over the last few days all over in your head. And you start comparing, you know, you're with all of the other people who are selecting with you. Um, and for, you know, for sometimes that's, hundreds of people and for sometimes it's not um and you start comparing like well this guy is really strong and this girl's really fast or or whatever and uh, and that's where all the nervousness comes back you're like well am I good enough did I do good enough did I demonstrate who I am and what I'm capable of through this process and is that gonna get me picked um, and so that all that nervousness, you know, kind of comes back. Uh, but again, you're, you're so tired that you feel that. And then you kind of like, let it go. You're like, Oh, nope, I'm done. All I want to do is sleep, uh, and get in an ice bath. <laughs> uh, um, but I think I owe through that mental side, I owe a lot to Paul and to games lab because through all of those introspective questions and like all of our conversations, I really think that he had a big influence on the way that I approach training and even the way that I approach some hesitant situations at work. Um, definitely way differently. Um, areas where I would have maybe myself or hesitated or things like that or you know got burnt out or had a breakdown or whatever um I've been able to kind of take that model of like wait why are you here why are you doing this what is failing to you and if you don't meet that definition of failing then what are you upset about um and transition that into a bunch of different areas of life and before that, I don't think I was totally capable of doing something like that. I had always had, for the most part, um, there was an exception of one coach who tried really hard. And I think I was just too young to really grasp the concept, uh, mentally young anyway. Um, I had a lot of coaches who just would give you the like, uh, just suck it up and do it. Um, and I think sometimes that's the answer. But I think overall, especially as you get older, um, and for the audience, I'm 32 now. So I screened when I was 30. Um, I think as you get older, that's not always the answer. And in a lot of cases, you allowed me to understand that it was okay that I was feeling the way that I was feeling and that just do it and just get it done wasn't necessarily the answer. Um, and I, you know, in previous conversations, 
situations, I think I would have felt guilty. Like, oh, I didn't do it. So I feel bad. Um, but you allowed me to kind of be like, look, you have a crazy work schedule and you didn't get to train today. Like, that's okay. You get to train tomorrow. Um, and kind of like change my mentality on, you know, missing days or having bad days or not wanting to train. Um, I think that was something kind of like transformed through that whole process was my ability to introspectively think about things and, and evaluate what I was feeling and why I was feeling that way. Whereas before I wouldn't have. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. I, I, I won't ask you, I don't expect you to say this, but I'll say it. So you were selected, not just selected, but you were selected at the top of your class as a female. And it was clear throughout your whole preparation that you cared so much about your training, about your preparation, about honoring the selection that you were getting ready for. And so when I remember those conversations, yeah, it was, it was like, you, you were so conscientious and you just really wanted to do well. And that creates like a high emotional state of, you know, arousal. And so, yeah, it was, it was like, Hey, you know, just notice that you're feeling this way and frame it as excitement and that you care and try to extract the fear out of it, try to identify what any fear that's there and, and get rid of that. But the, the magnitude of the emotion was just so, uh, it was so clear how much you cared and that you were doing it for the right reasons. Like you really wanted to be on the SWAT team. And like you shared in your story, you had tried all these other things and had arrived eventually at being an operator as something that where you, where you belonged and, and you, um, it sounds like you still feel that way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I would totally agree with, with all of that. Awesome. Yeah. So now you've been on the team for two years, you said. Just about. Yeah. And you know, how, how has that been? You, you said you, you feel like you still belong there. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, I think it really, you know, the, the physical demands of, of the job versus selection um, are, are completely different, um, which I would always hear people talk about, but you don't really understand until you get there. Um, it's kind of like the difference between, uh, for, for my people that have been in the military and, and maybe were or weren't involved in uh, the soft community, it's like Iraq versus Afghanistan. Um, sounds the same but two completely different experiences two completely different body types two completely different uh tactical missions and and everything kind of changes so like everything that i did during selection you know talking about sustaining aerobic capacity and um like the body types being biased towards kind of the aerobic side and and just having like a baseline strength but not needing to be like ridiculously strong I would say like going into being an operator now um 
I would say it's almost the opposite. Um, you know, because I'm, I'm not in the military. I'm also not a sniper on our team. Um, I'm going to breacher school here soon, hopefully. Um, but I, I'm never going to do like a, a six mile infill into my target. Uh, like everything that I do and everything that we do as a team is pretty planned. Um, and we operate from our vehicles. Like they drop us off. We infill maybe 200 meters at the most. So I like, I don't need to be able to ruck for 60 minutes. I, I don't need to run eight miles um, from a cardio perspective. Like I'm going to chase a squirter, uh, a, a guy running from, from a building or from me in a, in a vehicle, um, maybe 400 meters uh, at the most. So now I would say like we almost bias towards strength, right? Like I'm, I'm expected to carry the same weight uh, most literally and figuratively as all my male counterparts. Um, so whether that's wearing my kit, carrying gear, um, carrying somebody, um, we do a lot of like medical scenario training with downed operators. Um, we have one breacher, our lead breacher on the team. Um, he's a big guy. He's probably, I don't know, six, two, six, three, 250 pounds without kit. He's just a big strong strong dude and you throw a kit on him and his breaching gear at a door where shots are fired and he goes down and you got to drag him down some stairs you know to wherever your casualty collection point is uh and they always pick me and one of our smaller dudes to to do those things and it's just a good reminder of like hey man like you gotta be able to do all of these things um because in a worst case scenario like that's when it's gonna matter um and so now I would totally say like physical demands of being an operator bias towards strength and power towards fighting towards carrying towards sprinting towards lifting things quickly but not necessarily multiple times um heavy things a lot of our gear is kind of heavy especially some of our breaching gear is heavy so um yeah I think like you said, it's it's totally where I belong. Um, the team does a really good job of making me one of the boys. Um, I get treated just like everybody else does, uh, to include getting picked on, um, and it's great. So, um, yeah, I think I'm still learning a lot. I still have a lot to learn, uh, which I think is the exciting part. Um, you kind of get to a place in, in fitness where sometimes it gets boring because you feel like you're doing the same things over and over again. My weightlifting people, I know you hear me, uh, snatch clean squat. That's your life. And so, uh, it's definitely not like that in the tactical world. Uh, tactics are always changing, you know, based off of evidence of success, uh, and casualties. And so those are always changing and, and, you know, like techniques for shooting have evolved a lot and continue to evolve. Um, same thing for breaching, for opening doors. Uh, it's changing for snipers all the time. They get better equipment that helps them. Um, 
I think overall, there's just, it's always evolving and it's evolving so quickly that there's always something to learn and always something to get better at. Um, and I think that's, for some people can be overwhelming, but I think for me, that challenge is, is more exciting and keeps me interested than, than anything else. Yeah, I'm so glad you, I'm so glad you shared that because what you do now, it sounds like is so close quarters and it's, it's about being strong, large, powerful, uh, and sprinty, short bursts of high output. And a lot of times tactical athletes all get put into this bucket and there are even, you know, programs that are sold on this, like be a tactical athlete. And what you do is so different from say like my background in the infantry, which was huge aerobic bias, like, you know, eight mile movements, 12 mile movements. And the more aerobic you were, you know, the better off, the better off you were really. So, um, so, so different. And I just think that's, yeah, that's an important distinction to make. And, um, yeah, if you're a tactical athlete, like let's really get to the bottom of what, what your role is and what the physical requirements are. Um, cause the, the army and SWAT could not be more different. <laughs> They're completely opposite oh, yeah. the spectrum. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. We actually, uh, we actually do a lot of, of training, uh, with some of the teams, a, a lot of the teams actually. And, uh, and we say the same thing to them. And I think as the tactical world grows, um, I think it's even more important, like you said, to to really define what your role is uh, with what you do. And so, like you said, like, you know, the Army and the Navy and the Marines and, and Coast Guard and all these, you know, special teams. And even if you're not on a team, if you're if you're doing infantry, it's it's so not like the police work that we do. And to lump them all into this tactical athlete program is is not the answer and I think especially with like you know tactical games coming on board now and, and what they're doing for the community like it's awesome but it's you can't look at those things as like the end-all be-all answer because you may be going down the wrong rabbit hole you know mm -hmm. so yeah, I think it's, sure. it like you like you said defining defining your role and defining your goals and what you want and what, what does your team do? What is your mission or, or collectively on average, what do your missions look like could answer a lot of those questions. I think for anyone who's, you know, going to go to buds or go to rasp or go to anything like that, like, yep, you're going to do a lot of eight, 12, 20 mile like rucks. And cause that's, that's what you're going to do at least at your, selection process uh i think war is changing a lot now uh so you may not do that too much longer uh in theater but um you might <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure yeah and and the difference uh, another difference to notice is the difference between your selection and what it's like to actually be on the team it's like the selection was more or less a psychological test. The physical test was a means to assess you psychologically. And, and then, uh, and a lot of, you know, military selections are, are like that too. And then 
once you get into the role, it's like, okay, now I kind of understand what is required of me physically. And, and I can, and the physical demands are, were very different. It sounds like, does that sound right? Yeah, that definitely sounds right. And, you know, we're, uh, we're actually about to run our, our first selection that I get to be part of the other side uh, for the first time since I was selected. And you really get to see why certain events are chosen during selection, which while you're going through it, you don't, you don't realize why you're doing the things you're doing. You just think that you're getting your ass kicked. Um, but like each event screens for a particular attribute or is, is supposed to. A good selection will have events that screen for certain attributes or certain things that the team is looking to see from you. And so like to look at all these events like on paper and you're like, okay, we're doing this, but we're actually looking for these attributes or these personality traits and you're like oh yeah look at that um and you don't realize it like I said while you're going through it but uh you know selection and I think you know uh, we do a good job uh, we have a lot of really cool science people that have helped us put together um our selection uh, they get paid a whole bunch of money to have big brains which I don't have um they they put together these selections that that screen for attributes that would could make a good operator. Um, and we see those things through selection. We also see those things like through our everyday job. And so I think, you know, our team being as close as it is and, and all of us being relatively similar um, and having a lot of those similar attributes. Uh, when When you see an attribute that sticks out you're able to kind of like guide that person back in the right direction because you know, that's not where they need to be. And something's going on that is making them be outside of their normal um, for what we need them to be at, at the time. So I think our, our selection, and I think a lot of selections now are like this. Um, they're, they're very actually, they're actually very particular in what they're looking for with, with each of their events. It's not just a, a knockdown drag out for no reason. Yeah, that's cool. And yeah, like we said before, I know you can't share what every event is and every detail, but um, yeah, yeah, some awesome insights there. Well, yeah, congrats on getting married. I know you just uh, had the knee surgery as well. So um, yeah, thanks. Knee yeah. surgery, not so good, but yeah, <laughs> wedding, definitely good. <laughs> they balance each other out. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks so much for making the time, Meg. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll chat again soon. Sounds good. Thanks.